everybody, and welcome to another episode of This Week in X, presented by Crushing Comics. We are here this week to talk about two issues that were out on the 9th of December, and those two issues are Marauders number 16 and the first issue of the brand new Sword series written by Al Ewing. I am here to talk about these issues in full, and we are going to spoil everything about them, so this is your spoiler warning. We're going to talk about every detail in these books, every detail of the X-Men books from 1963 up until this point, and possibly some other stuff from the Marvel Universe, even a Captain America annual by Kirby in the 1970s if Tyler has his way. So please look out for those spoilers. And now, by way of introduction, let me uh, talk to Tyler and Harry today. And you'll notice we still don't have Faria with us. I hear she was briefly in a month working with Apocalypse. She really didn't like the mentorship situation. Now she might be making her way onto the sword station, and we'll talk about why in and just we, a little bit. We all know why. <laughs> we all know why. A certain silver why. fox on that sword yeah. station. But Tyler, let me ask you, um, if you were to have uh, something always reliably in your pocket that you could pull out, what would that thing be? It would be a mm, breath freshener strips. Because I'm always very um, concerned that, you know, I smell bad. You know, whether it's B.O. or whether it's, you know, bad, bad breath or whatever. So I usually have one. Mm. For me, it's probably guitar picks. I just, like, mm. I, I'll still put on clothes that I probably haven't worn since I last was gigging. And like, <laughs> oh, here's a guitar pick and another guitar pick and another guitar pick. <laughs> so, Harry, if somebody came into your house and threatened you by starting to break something in your, your precious household other than comic books, what would be the thing you would least want them to break? Uh, I have a really nice poster uh, from a Janelle Monet concert I went to a few years ago in Orlando. Ooh. It's one of the very few nice shows that I've been to, and uh, I think my heart would crack in two if that framed it as well. So mm. let's just stay away from that, anyone who's <laughs> listening and wants to break into my home. <laughs> Excellent. Well, with those introductions, let's dive right into this week's two issues. First things first, what did we think about this issue of Marauders? I have many opinions, uh, but as we do, let's start with Tyler and then move to Harry and see what your first impressions were. I mean, I really enjoyed this. I mean, this is what we have been waiting to have for for it to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we. I mean, there was a a long interlude um, uh, in human time, but. You know, I think uh, in Krakoan time, it's probably just a couple of days delay. So, um, but we can talk about it a little bit more. But I really, really enjoyed this. Harry? Uh, yeah, you know, I felt this was maybe the most satisfying issue since the uh, status quo kicked off because we wow. have been waiting for this for <laughs> some time. And, you know, yeah, we've had a lot of build up, a lot of kind of like pieces being put into play, not just in Marauders, but in all these series. But this is the issue that felt like finally things are coming to a head in one of these big books. And, and Marauders has always been to me a, bit, a cut above the, than the others. And we're finally getting to some payoff and uh, some certain people getting what they had coming to them. <laughs> I do agree that this is probably the biggest payoff issue that we've had. We've had a lot of issues kind of setting up new things from Hickman. A lot of mysteries continued in terms of Mystique and Destiny, but this feels like one of the first times that we've like just had a really solid payoff of something since we've been in Dawn of X. And it's very satisfying because everybody loves to hate Sebastian Shaw and everybody loves to love Kate Pride, especially when she and Emma are teaming up. So I think in that way it was really good, but 
it did get a little, um, it almost felt like slapstick to me after a while. Like they just kept mm. knocking him over and knocking him down. It started <laughs> to feel like a Three Stooges to me. And I think that there are certain people who really will enjoy that because they just like the rhythm of it. And I think Duggan gave, gave it a great rhythm. I think some people potentially could eye roll a little bit. Like it took a whole issue. They just kept like kicking him when he was down. It, it really has to do if you like Shaw being kicked while he's down, really. I think that that's where your enjoyment of this issue probably rests. I don't know. That, that's just I'm- me. It is also part of like the norm in a modern comics, right? Where the, where things are very decompressed. So you focus on just one one thing and one thing only. Um and you know, and then you just um milk it for as, as much as you can. And in this case, I think it's kind of worth it. Yeah, well, you can get away with that when you've had the buildup that we've had, especially, you know, people complain during X of Swords, like, oh, I want to know what happened with Kate. But like, yeah. that was the perfect amount of anticipation to make us mm-hmm. wait all this time to see what would happen. This would not have landed the same if it just came right after she came back in the previous issue. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, I, I think the majority of this chat is going to kind of be talking about the various <laughs> uh, slapstick events in in. Shaw's home, but let's start out just with the one-page scene that we begin with here, which mm-hmm. is Bishop and Storm, and they've kind of both come to the conclusion about who murdered Kate at the same time in their own way, uh, which I think hints at some other things that may be still to come here. I don't know. Tyler, what did you think about that? Um, I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised that uh, Storm actually figured it out already, um, and, you know, she, it's not it's, when she flew down to Bishop, she's like, and Bishop show her this thing, and she's like, oh yeah, I knew, I knew it was it was Shaw who did it, and maybe you know when when Bishop show her that that uh vine thing, and she's like, you know, this just confirms my my suspicions, and um, but you know, part of me think that did Kate and Emma actually tell her as well, you know, she, I mean, in some ways for this whole issue to pay off there is this last scene and they probably need Storm to be on their side for that scene to really work. And it also plays very well into the mother and daughter relationship between uh, Kate and Aurora. Mm. What do you think, Harry? I just thought it was nice to kind of get more of a look at the other uh, players on this team. I think this is a really great book, but sometimes it can kind of get tunnel vision with just being about uh, Kate, Emma, and Shaw. So showing that the other side and other group, pe- people in the group have their own autonomy or figuring things out as they go. Uh, I did wonder near the end of the issue if they had talked to Aurora ahead of time and kind of like set that, I mean, if they had kind of revealed things early. But um, yeah, it was just like a cool beat to kind of like set the stage and remind you what's going to be happening uh, soon enough. Yeah, I guess I didn't put too much thought into how Aurora would know, just because I, I mm. kind of feel like she would want to know either way. Like, whether she chased down the vines because she was there in the funeral and maybe would have seen them on the body, or whether she would have just known the vines immediately, or whether she would have asked, kind of, like, doesn't really matter to me, because what matters to me is that she is angry. Maybe she's the fourth angriest person slash being after Kate, Emma, and Lockheed, <laughs> but she's pissed. Um, but mm. the other thing was... I that I appreciated here was kind of like bringing Bishop and Storm in on it. I didn't, I'm not really interested in the playing for gags that the rest of the cast doesn't know that Shaw killed Kate for like issues and issues. It just felt yeah. like that would just drag on. I think yeah. it's fine if like Pyro and Iceman don't know to like make a gag out of it once or twice, but I think it could have got a little tiresome 
if we were like constantly stringing along like when will storm find out like it, it just was way more satisfying to just do it right up front and know that going into the issue i thought but i think even at this point they no one knows that um you know frost brother is the the white bishop is actually involved in this as well mm, yeah that's true mm. no hints of that yeah I almost wondered if with that first interaction that maybe like they were they almost seem so out for blood that they might like actually kill Shaw or something much more severe that could maybe clash with whatever Kate and Emma were planning. And I thought that kind of gave it some tension later in the issue where I wasn't sure where it was going to go and who was kind of come out on top. And then it's revealed later that uh, it's everyone's pretty much on the same page about how to handle this guy. So. Well, especially when Storm basically like kicks down the door in the middle of it. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But to me, that's really, you know, Duggan is really good at this stuff. I He turns in a lot of really good books. And part of why is this really deliberate pacing, right? If you had put that seen in a prior issue if you'd put it further into this or if you had skipped it it wouldn't have created that amount of tension we wouldn't have been as on edge through this whole kind of slapstick routine and we wouldn't have gotten the same impact of not only storm arriving but also the lockheed reveal so it's kind of like very very deliberately put together and this is why i appreciate this man because he really knows how to put together a comic book issue it just feels very measured this whole book and this is like a good example of that of just like every piece slowly building and then mm. it just feeling more and more satisfying as you get to the very end yeah i mean even the um the poison that they used on shore that was introduced um i think way back in issue seven in a data page so it wasn't even like you know it was sort of like mentioned offhand that you know the um the i can't remember the name of the hellfire's kids but they are like you know trying to poison people by making something that looks like the krakowin flower so um that you know that was just briefly mentioned just one line and then it's being used here so i thought that was really really good um foreshadowing and well, maybe everyone dope. should go back and dig through all the data pages to look at yeah. clues. <laughs> I mean, as fun pull. as this has been to read month to month, it's kind of really satisfying to be getting runs on multiple titles that actually read well collected as well and, and mm -hmm. kind of don't kind of stutter, start and stop, but are really meant to be poured over. I know we were really worried when we were doing Hoxpox last year of like, yeah. is this going to read well without the week to like digest everything in between every, mm -hmm. every issue? But yeah. I think it's working out well. So I, I want to dig into the kind of series of cheap shots. We don't need to spend 10 minutes discussing <laughs> each one, but I just want to take us through them and see if people have reactions to some and to not others. So the first is, of course, the big one to kill Shaw uh, from Kate at the beginning right through the door, which is funny not only because it pays off the tattoos, but because as Shaw immediately comments, he's like, he, I'm immune to physical damage. Like he's, he's always so confident about this and yeah. we very quickly, you know, get a subversion of that. So I don't know how satisfying was it to just see him get two bops in the nose from Kate right at the start there. Very. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just felt so good. Right. I mean, you've been watching this guy scheme and maneuver and finally he's just yeah. brought to a head literally with just these two fists. And I mean, I, I think Stefano Caselli really, really brought it with that page in particular, just like the expression on Shaw's face as he gets hit the second time and you see the blood fly <laughs> off and you just realize like how much, how, how visceral this is going to get very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like the entrance that, you know, Kate and uh, Emma made through the door. We've hand like, in hand. Uh, Emma. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> the, 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 poise and the expression on the uh, on the two characters i I, th I thought that, that was pretty perfect 
But I did notice the same thing as um, I think Peter noticed as well. Kate's hair. Yeah, well, there's a few. I don't want to go into nitpick zone here, but, you know, yeah. we, we have been getting curly-haired Kate on the cover, and there was some indication in the last issue before X of Swords began that, like, Kate was kind of resurrected feeling more like herself than ever before, and that we were going to get curly hair Kate uh, mm-hmm. to signify that. And then, you know, as Caselli draws her straight hair here, I, I have to admit, I was confused for a second. Like, where did this, like, she looks very, she's, especially because she's shot from below, so she looks mm-hmm. really tall, which she's not, and She's got these like high cheekbones, which she doesn't usually have, and then the straight hair and a bang. And I just was like, is this even Kate Pride? I thought maybe it was like a decoy or something. And I kind of felt like you two um, complimented Caselli, but I feel like he was kind of like rushed or a little bit off here. Really? I didn't, I didn't feel like the figures have this sort of like heft and glowiness that they often do. I feel like some of the poses were awkward. Some of the some of the faces seemed really rushed. I don't know. I, I felt like I got taken out of it a lot. But if you two liked it, mm. it could have just been like a some kind of thing that pesters me. But uh, I really couldn't settle into the art in this issue. I definitely noticed the hair was different. I can't speak to the postures as much, but I did recognize that it wasn't the, the curly hair that we had just been kind of introduced to. But just just the 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 intensity of emotion on all of their faces throughout the issue that was kind of like I think that's what he's really good at. Just mm-hmm. very very severe kind of looks, and I think that kind of added a lot to the emotion of the scene. Well, the other thing I think Peter might have been spoiled by P.P. Laura's art, where <laughs> where the where I think the um, composition of the page is a little bit more dynamic than what yeah. we see here. So this is more straightforward, you know, like you know this panel go to this panel to this panel without and pretty much all of them are like you know rectangular in in, in shape. So mm, I mean maybe that is, but then you know expression wise. Um, I kind of agree with um, Harry. I do not see the expression as being off too much. I do agree with Peter that in some cases the posture looks a little bit weird and strained. You know, so it's, it doesn't look too natural. Well, I'll say this and then we can move on with the um, the slapstick. Is because we don't want to just say, like, I like the art, I don't like the mm. art. Part of why we crush on comics is that we can get a little bit deeper than that level. As I think about it, he chose three very complex outfits to be drawing them in. Kate's is like a shirt that's belted with a jacket that's over top of it. And so he has to constantly show kind of the folds in in the jacket Mm -hmm. and the way that it moves around her body. Emma is in pants with like a tuxedo vest, which if you think about how it wears literally on somebody that's, you know, um, a woman, that it's it fits kind of awkwardly around their chest because that's not usually how tuxedo stuff works. And he, um, from a tailoring perspective, doesn't kind of draw in the kind of darts that would have to Mm. be in a physical version of this. And so he's got to keep drawing these like gathers at the side of her body. And over time, I felt like he was spending more time on this stuff than the other. (laughs) And then Shaw, who's in his beautifully large filled (laughs) collar, but it almost makes him look physically smaller, which I actually think was probably intentional given the beating that he's taken here. But Mm. again, like it, it just made me feel like in the panel sometimes he wasn't taking up as not enough space. So I, I don't know, maybe it's not even me saying that things were drawn weirdly. Maybe it's just me saying like, wow, Caselli gave himself a really hard task here. And uh, and I found like I was really taken with the minutia of the task, maybe a little bit more than the character performances that the two of you noticed and were clearly on the page. 
That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I just, what I liked about this is how much of the issue is really just in one room of a house and it kind of just has all this detail and then all these small little objects and things. And it just, but in that same environment, it just causes you to, causes you to focus more on the three characters that are having this conversation and subsequent beatdown. And I thought that was, that's not an easy thing to do, you know, for an artist. And I think he just kind of did it very well. Yeah, it felt like a fully realized space. Like you had a sense mm-hmm. of like where the shelf was, where the chair was, um, even as the camera begins to rotate a little bit and there's a window like it, and then he later goes through the window. I do think it had a fantastic sense of three-dimensional space that was really mm-hmm. well established. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Shaw makes this claim of like, I'm physically impervious, you know, it's only going to make me stronger. Uh, and immediately Emma whips out a gun, which is, a, I think, a really <laughs> fun beat because Emma, Emma Frost, like, you expect her to turn to diamond or to use her mental powers or whatever, but she she knows Shaw better than anybody. And she's like, you've got to do the unexpected here. And so she just, blam, gets him, which I think itself was a really funny beat. It's it's so nice just to cut through all this posturing real fast. Like I'm just gonna shoot you. <laughs> like, we're gonna do this real quick and keep it moving. Yeah. And it just it keeps it keeps him off off kilter and you as well as you're like what is gonna happen next because you know the this X man has a gun. <laughs> yeah. I mean this is the uh, I mean the thing is this like oh wait why did you know I mean my first thought was why did Emma shoot him and, and kill him so fast? That's not satisfying. You know, when I first get to this page and then um, and then, of course, it didn't happen that way. It's just, you know, Emma shot him, shot him with a, well, kryptonite (laughs) or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was racking my brain to see, I mean, to think of like, oh, what what could that thing be? And I went back to 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 X-Men number three. Where the garden grannies, uh, I uh, the hot culture. <laughs> um, but I prefer I prefer the garden grannies. Yeah, garden better. grannies yeah, is how they're going to be known. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> they, they they did almost the exact same thing as the um, as Emma, Kate, and later you know Storm did. Like basically, they shot his face with that green stuff, which makes him unable to use his power, and then he fell to the ground, and they start kicking him. So <laughs> that is is kind of similar to the beating that he gets here, except that of course he recovered, you know, uh, from that beating. But in this case, well, something else happens. Well, anytime any anytime anybody has a power neutralizing gun, I immediately flash to Uncanny X Men one eighty five because I'm like, is the is this the gun that took Storm's powers? Because it's just such a famous Claremontian beat, right. and so I enjoyed that. Like upon further reflection and 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 exchanging notes with Tyler, that it was the gun from this run. Because like as much as I like a deep cut, that would have been maybe too deep a cut. It was <laughs> it was nice that it was actually set up well, from this actual to fair, X run. To be fair, the Garden Grannies did not use a bullet. So right. I think they spray some slimy thing. And my guess here is that Beast stole the, the thing from them and then reverse engineered it because Beast did steal some stuff Sounds from, like Beast. from them. Yeah. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that issue of X-Men is kind of a whiff. So I'm really glad they found something useful to take from it to kind of add to a, a better story. Yeah. You know, it's just it's nice. Yeah. Uh so as the beatdown continues, right, Shaw <laughs> Shaw is beside himself and he's getting increasingly more frustrated. We have this wonderful little panel of Kate almost in small font, right? And an aside, which makes it even funnier, says, 
perhaps men are too emotional to lead, <laughs> which I just I just love because it's the kind of thing Shaw would say all the time on the council, especially mm-hmm. given Shaw's reaction to Jean at the end of X of Swords to get her off the council. It felt like Kate getting Shaw back for that to me, which made it even more satisfying. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the other thing also, you know, in a way is that Hellfire's Club has always um, sort of um, not not treat the female uh, members with the same dignity mm. as the male members, no. right? Because they always dress them in these tight corsets and stuff like that. So in this case, you know, with with the having the thing reverse and having Kate telling him say, well, maybe you are the one that is too emotional. <laughs> and, yeah. and then of course, of course you know she went on and 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 say that and, and do the drinking the whiskey and spitting it into the fire thing and say i'm lucky and things like that so that, i mean kind of funny but uh, <laughs> that entire interaction starting with that line and her just drinking and spitting in the flames just feels like such a, a jerry duggan moment like definitely i kind of feel like his voice is coming out the most in that which can be a good and bad thing i think it mostly works here where you just kind of you can tell exactly where the writer is and what, what he's trying to say with the uh the subtext there or it may just text at that point <laughs> with the gender dynamics yeah. <laughs> but yeah and so Shaw briefly makes his escape, gets dragged back in through the door by Kate with Glob looking on. Glob. Which is, and, that you is, know. He's fun. Jerry Duncan's funny. That's a really, really good page of like just her just dragging him back inside, and you see Glob running away in fear. Yeah. yeah. It's just well, really funny. And the thing is that Glob did not did not even like I mean he's he had one line, you know, yeah. or two, you know. Oh my gosh, are you okay, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Shaw? And then and then Kate is like, "Hi, goodbye." And then, yeah, it's and funny. Then, it's yeah, it's funnier because you don't even know where he came from or why he's outside. Yeah, why the is he down there? Like, why <laughs> I don't want he... an explanation. <laughs> I like that he's just kind of standing there. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah. And and so they bring him back in. There is a great um, moment with uh, Emma slapping Shaw, which she can do since he doesn't have his powers turned on, and say, call her Kate, which I can't say that mentally I didn't connect a little bit to Elliot Page, um, who plays Kate Pride in the movies. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the media has been doing a decent job at not dead naming mm-hmm. Elliot as they're reporting on um, his, his identity as a transgender man. And so it just was like a nice life and art reflection. A lot of people had pointed out the con- connection that even though it's just Kitty giving up a nickname to become Kate, that it definitely reflects upon the way that people take on names in the real world and the avoidance of dead naming them. And it just was a nice uh, little moment for Emma there that I think has extra resonance because of what's been happening in the world over the past week or two. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, I think. I mean, for me, I thought it was more... Um, it was like Emma gave, giving Kate a little bit more agency, yeah, and, and not just like a little girl playing grown up, you know, like yeah. you know when 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 you know like maybe a eight year old is like, no, don't call me honey anymore, call <laughs> me by my name, you know, that kind of thing. So I I thought it plays pretty well into that too. So. I thought it was great. There's just such this moment of affirmation and just kind of like, it just solidifies this, this new kind of stage uh, in this character's life. You know, I, th- I thought it was like one of my favorite parts of the issue. 
And then we come full circle to what we teased at the beginning, which is Storm coming in the door with Lockheed. <laughs> now, Lockheed, not always the fiercest of dragons, actually quite a cuddly <laughs> dragon usually, but uh, mm-hmm. you do not mess with Lockheed's Kate. And especially mm-hmm. you don't kill her in front of Lockheed. So even, I mean, not to get deep into the characterization of a dragon who rarely speaks on panel, <laughs> but this, for a second, I was like, would he? And then I said, mm-hmm, he would. Yeah. Uh, because he would. Well, the funny thing is I just read the sword mini or the, the, the short-lived sword series, which has Lockheed without Kate around. And he becomes this like hard drinking, like sort of angry like, dragon who's, who's going to mess up a room if, he, if it comes to it. So it actually does track for this, this dragon's characterization that he's going to mess someone up. Yeah. And for me, I thought it was funny that Sebastian needs a reflection to tell to determine that he's maim. I mean, he got his eye gorged out. Like, <laughs> what else? I mean, besides maim, would would he be like? He'll be well. He might. Pretty? You know, I yeah. I I did take it as like a vanity moment. Like, yeah. you took oh, my yeah. eye, but until I can get resurrected, at least am I still pretty? You know, that is <laughs> that is one hundred percent how I read that. It's, of course, as soon as he loses the eye, he looks at his reflection. Yeah, like, obviously, yeah. that's what this guy would do. That page is great, by the way. Just the the silhouettes of Lockheed and uh, and Shaw just getting his eye yanked out. It just it was really like very brutal. I think I'd like like it hit me when I was reading it the first time. And so we arrive now at what I think is actually the most interesting part of this issue, which I will call Shaw's trio of impossible choices. Because he has, he can make his treachery and some of these, you know, you have to understand we all outline this as if with academic rigor. So when I say these things, it's not always because I'm smart. It's usually because Tyler's smart. Um, so uh, Harry too, but Tyler does a lot of the outline. Um, it's, it's, it's the truth. <laughs> so the three choices here are that he can make his treacheries publicly known, which, as Emma puts it, will put him in the pit with Sabretooth, a pillow for Victor, which is my, probably my second favorite line. Brutal. And the issue. Uh, they can keep things private and basically give the quartet of them the power over his life and death. Or I guess he could kill himself, but Storm has got an iron boot on that resurrection process. And she makes very clear he will be at the back of the line. So Tyler, what did you think about this, the brutal three choices for Shaw? I mean, I thought it was, it it was, it was really perfect because he did not give Lockheed or Kate any choices. Right. And in fact, Kate bagged him to not kill Lockheed. And Kate is like, you know, I'm going to give you my seat. I'm going to give you my vote. Don't kill him. He ignored her and he killed both of them. So in this case, I thought it was, it's just perfect. It's, it's, it's even more perfect than the beating he, he got, right? It I could, agree. it would be like, you know, they, the, the three of them could just stroll in and poison him. And then we jump to the, to these three choices and it would still work. The revenge would still work for me. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it on that level, just between the the interactions there. But you know, on a, it was so satisfying because you know it's not like been a huge concern of mine. But I have been thinking, you know, where does all of the scheming with Shaw end in a new world where death doesn't have the importance it used to, and mm. what kind of what kind of punishment or consequence is this guy going to face that can actually match mm. all of this, you know, dramatic yeah. buildup? And I've been thinking about that just with the run in general, and this feels like such a specific like well thought out satisfying way to kind of cap this for now while you know still not including death per se but there's you know as we can see there's some things that might be a whole lot worse you know from your perspective 
And also don't forget yeah. that they um explicitly put Storm and Bobby Iceman on the Marauders team to protect Kate. Right. And mm-hmm. you know, there's something there to be said. You know, like they they loved her. And maybe because, you know, she's also a vote for Emma and Emma maneuver everyone t- to protect her. But also how to what extent was she bait? You know, Emma knew yeah. that Shaw wouldn't be able to resist somebody who it seemed like he could take out and and not um, have resurrected. Like it's a gamble and Emma, mm-hmm. maybe she would or maybe she wouldn't. But you can't help but wonder. And the fact that it could be any of those motivations or maybe if all of them at once kind of thing is what makes it which makes this character so fun in the book. Though I think it has been, it was seeded somewhere that Kate wasn't the first choice, wasn't Emma's first choice mm. as the queen. Yeah, that does ring a bell. But we may yeah. never know. Yeah. <laughs> well, this all comes together in talking about a page that has a great layout. I really enjoyed this kind of like picture in picture lineup yeah. of all the votes from the Quiet Council. I wish yeah, they would yeah. do the votes like this more often because sometimes I have a lot of trouble following who's voting in what mm. order from which season. And here it actually was fun to watch. I liked the kind of blurred out, you know, backgrounds with the people that are missing. <clears throat> you could have done that last week instead of showing Dean <laughs> yeah. on the council. And this is the first, perhaps the first time that we had a vote right along gender lines. Right up until Shaw comes in and votes no, because the council wants to know why Shaw has shown up in a wheelchair with an eye patch looking quite picked, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> he's got quite a power to him. And, yeah. uh, and you know, you get the sense that Xavier and Magneto are voting yes, because they're like the command and control types and they just mm-hmm. need to know. You yeah. get the sense that Sinister and Exodus are voting yes, because like, why not embarrass Shaw? <laughs> yeah. um, and Mystique, recognizing that he's been come, he comes in flanked by the three competent women from the other side of the council, votes no purely for her own amusement. So, yeah. um, and Nightcrawler also, you know, really just is like to, the swing vote here. Yeah, you know? just to, <laughs> just to looks... mess, mess with like Savior and Magneto because, you know, she, she, she's constantly using every opportunity to remind right. them that you guys owe me something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that Nightcrawler mostly just looks confused. <laughs> He's just like, I don't know what's happening, but let's just go with yes. And we'll... But this was the best, this for me, this was the best council page in a long time, right? Like this was yeah. the best interaction for me of all of those figures in that room where it looks mm-hmm. amazing. It's got this decision in partic- particular has so much weight and it's just like, it just feels exciting. Like it was just mm-hmm. the best for me. And I'm pretty sure um, um, Cypher and Krakoa knows because the chair was missing. So Krakoa probably just absorbed the chair and left a blank space there. <laughs> that part's cold. They're like, "Where's the? Ch- why is there no chair?" Yeah. And he comes in on a wheelchair. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, just look at just look at uh, Doug's expression when when they were voting. He looks mm-hmm. angry, it's and a I great feel like Doug too. It reminds yeah. me of like '80s New Mutants Doug, just the way his face and his hair is drawn. Mm-hmm. And and is this is like this feels like the big the most transgressive in this in the context of the council any any interaction has been so far where these are now council members like openly harming and plotting against each other and the votes kind of being pushed in one way or the other and I think that's interesting after two people two members just left the council with the last few issues. Mm-hmm. And it does make you have, you know, you have to wonder how Apocalypse and Jean would have voted. We'll never know. But like, would they have broken on the gender lines? Would they have reversed those positions? It's hard to say. Look, that's the end of the issue. But Tyler, Mm -hmm. what is the Krakoan language at the end of this issue? What's coming? 
and what is coming. This feels like the biggest plot thread that there was to wrap up. And Marauders, mm-hmm. like, what? What's? I'm not a solicits reader, so I literally do not know what is there left to do right now. It it feels like the end of the book in a way, or at least like the beginning of like the next next stage. Um, well, I, I mean, solicits, yeah. besides the Krakoan text, there's also this small uh, box that say next the low down lock. Uh, the low town lowdown. So they are probably dealing with the uh, Verandi uh, mm, kids next. Yeah. So that'll be one thing. And also yeah. a parting shot from Kate. Thanks for your gift, Sebastian. <laughs> the get, which could be read a couple of different ways. What do you think? Quick, quick round. What does gift refer to here, Tyler? Um, I would say probably letting her know that she's a mutant. Mm. Yeah. That's it. Like that's he 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 said earlier. He's like, I gave you your confidence back, basically. Yeah. And she's being petty, but you know, in a sense, she has become much more realized than she did at the beginning of the book, for sure. Yeah, I I agree that that's what it is primarily. But I think there's also a certain acerbic uh, remark about his eye, in in terms of a gift. <laughs> I think there's yeah. also like kind of the gift of like going along with them, and almost in like air quotes, your gift. Mm-hmm. Like, he's now formed a voting block with them that he didn't before. So I, I actually think it was pretty funny because she's it's really just her um, getting it on him that, that they've got him in several different yeah, ways. She... Well, well, look, uh, final thoughts on this Marauder's Thoughts shoe before we wrap it up? Um, Good. <laughs> good like, I mean, it's really fun. I mean, it, it, it is really fun. It is really satisfying, as I've said, um, as I think all three of us, all, all, all three of us have said that before. So um, I'm looking forward to see what the next chapter of Hellfire's um, and, you know, Hellfire's gala. No, I think this book has had a lot of, um, you know, interruptions and pacing issues, both in real world pandemics and a, a giant crossover. So you can kind of forget. But th- this is easily one of the top tier X books. And this is just this book, even though it seems kind of simple and measured the fact that they have been working on all of these pieces and bringing them together issue to issue and then it comes together like this and is, is so satisfying and has all of these interesting things on the margins and this interesting subtext while also being this to me very beautiful issue like it this is yeah it's, it's back at the top of the the pile i i don't see what's kind of around it right now first impressions of sword number one tyler and then harry what what did you take away from this um i came into this book um, not knowing what to expect, not because I, you know, it, it has nothing to do with the creators. It's just that I don't know which direction this book is going to take. Um, because I mean, partly because most of the cast that has been that had been revealed up to the point, up to that the point. I mean, this morning when the book was released, um, <laughs> I don't know a lot of them. And I was actually wondering why Young Cable was there. Um, you know, besides that, his sword was being used to power the the peak. And um, so, you know, I mean, part of me is like, okay, I trust Ewin to spin something really outrageous and you know, um, very. I don't know if that is a word. Very sci-fi, <laughs> sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, based on his ultimates and ultimates too. Um, um, but you know. I'm actually very, very pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoy the first book. Yeah, so I don't know what uh, you guys do when you have a book come out that you're really excited for, but um, in this case, uh, Al Ewing and Valeria Shidi are 
my favorite comics writer and artist on their own time. And then when they announced this book that they came together, like I just shut my brain off because I didn't want my expect <laughs> my expectations to get too high. You know what I mean? So I have not, I've, I've like consciously kept this book out of my head. Uh, and it still blew me away. This is like, without a doubt, my favorite first issues in a really long time. It, it's, it, it, it has so much that it's carrying and juggling and so much that it's lifting without ever feeling like it's too much. It's got all these interesting plot points. I agree with you, Tower, that I wasn't sure what this was going to be because, you know, we don't have a lot of sword books. And when we do, they get canceled quickly. So I didn't know what direction this was going to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I've read it, I just like this. This feels as fresh and exciting as uh, Hoxpox was, which you know, is not an easy thing to do, but um, it, it just felt effortless. And um, I'm just going to say a lot of really nice things about this book. So there we go. <laughs> well, I'll balance that nicely because I didn't like it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, Let's you go. know, I swear I come to these decisions on my own before I'm like on the internet or I know what anybody else is going to say. And then I'm genuinely surprised <laughs> when I hear people say like, this was great. I'm like, really? Look, it was, it was, fine i liked it because it was a collection of a gallery of obscure x-men characters which is the quickest way to my heart is show me a bunch of x-men characters who debuted after 1980 and who nobody even remembered existed so from that position i liked it but like i just i don't know that i care about space stuff right now i don't know that we need another version of the five that's the six i don't know that i then need to keep track of five different teleporters on top of that i don't really care what their mission is it just was like if anything it reminded me of all the things i disliked about hawk pox pox which we have to remember i was a little hot and cold on at the time and i kind of just found myself like rolling my eyes like i wish i got the i don't know what i wanted like maybe i wanted the kind of witty, fast-paced, kooky, il- dealing with alien sword book that we had with Brand before Baker and Gillen, and maybe we'll get there. But it just, mm-hmm. it was kind of like just barely okay for me. Like, I didn't hate it, but I found it thoroughly unimpressive. You know, I, I will admit, you know, if it, I think this is the same thing with Hickman, that if you're not into it, it can just seem like a lot of yeah. just nonsense that can just bring you down real quick. Uh, but I'm, I'm sorry someone hurt you. We're going to figure out why as we talk. <laughs> I mean, yeah. to be fair, like high concept science fiction is always a hit and miss for some people. Because some people would be like, oh, this is cool. You know, we are dealing with something that um, I don't understand. Um, and I, I, I don't know if anyone understood what happened uh besides you know Ewan himself um <laughs> and it sounds and it can come off a little bit as you know he is you know he's just bsing his way through the whole thing um so for me it can the it, it the this whole thing told a pretty fine line between between that because um if this whole thing continues on a little bit more um into the whole you know high concept thing I might jump and join Peter in not really enjoying the book too much, but as it as it is right now, I think um, we have two third two third of the book is on something that I really enjoy. So yeah, Harry. Well, I think I mean that's I was thinking that also. I mean you know I think Ewing has been on the wrong side of the uh, the big metaphysical stuff with with Ultimates, which mm. definitely is a book that has a lot of big ideas, and I don't think really lands a lot of it I that is very I, fair yeah and yeah and you know i feel like this is another this is like kind of a very similar book but it just kind of shows how much he's grown as a writer where all of the personalities and the characters in this book just feel so much more 
vibrant and interesting and there's so much more happening that but it doesn't feel busy and i just feel like he's in control of all of these elements in, in a much more or uh powerful way so i think it's but yes i think that there is a potential that it could get very wacky uh, and not in a fun way very fast well, I like that we have a little bit of dissent about it because it's kind of like that forces us to actually discuss things instead of all kind of mm-hmm. cheerleading yeah. for it. And yeah. I will mm-hmm. say that, uh, you know, for me, Hickman doesn't really come through on this stuff. Like, you, we all know I don't like his Avengers. We all know I didn't really appreciate all of Hawksbox. It took a while to drag me back to the video camera afterwards. Um, but... And so I think that maybe I'm having some spillover from that onto Ewing, who, Mm. to be fair, usually does come through, as Harry pointed out. Even on Ultimates, which I think didn't quite land everything, it still had enough really big, fun concepts to kind of sink your teeth into that it didn't need to land everything. So I think part of this is my reticence to, like, get engaged with the Hickman big concept because I've gotten burned. But it's Ewing's big concept, not Hickman's big concept. I, I think Ewing at his worst, and you saw that more like directly after Secret Wars, is it does seem like he's just aping Hickman's thing, where it comes off like a, a, a diet, even if you don't even like the original drink. Uh, but you know, I think he's much <laughs> he's much stronger when he has that more goofy, just kind of flavor like Marvel Comics thing, where it's much more fun. And I think he's handling that a lot better in this with uh, with Cable and Pybok and all that fun stuff. Well, I think Ewing executes the best when he's allowed to have his whole corner to himself, right? Like, mm-hmm. part of why Immortal Hulk is such a runaway hit run is because nobody's trying to make him do anything. He has that character to himself. He has that corner of the Marvel Universe to himself. And Ewing wasn't really allowed that kind of leash before. Even on Ultimates, really, he's no. always had to be, no. like, second fiddle to somebody. And now he actually, even though we've got Hickman here as head of X, I'm sure that Ewing is going to get to do the book that he wants to do. And I think that that is actually really fascinating. And that is what Brand told Magneto. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that yeah, way. Beautiful that's segue, it. Tyler. That's exactly. <laughs> because that's that's exactly what I thought when I read that part. Brand is like Brand is Ewing telling Hickman, we are on we are partners here, right? I'm not reporting to you, right? Yeah. It's, imp- it's, imp- <laughs> it's impossible not to look at this that conversation as those two creators talking to each other. Yeah. And Ewing saying, this is now my neck of the woods and this is yeah. my chunk of the world, which is all space. And it just, yeah, yeah it's exciting. And Hickman is like, oh, Magneto is like, oh, sure, sure. <laughs> but, he, but, you know, that, that conflict goes a certain way by the end, which I think is super interesting. Mm. Wow, you guys have whole layers that I didn't get. So look, (laughs) gosh, we're not even really into talking about the issue. So look, I think there's a few huge chunks that we have to cover here. Uh, There's the chunk of just S.W.O.R.D. What is S.W.O.R.D.? What is S.W.O.R.D. to Krakoa now? Mm. There's that chunk. Then there's just all the characters. And then there's also kind of like Magneto's walk around and how this leads us organically as a storytelling mechanism into seeing this group of characters do their thing for the first time, whatever that thing may or may not be. So Mm -hmm. let me put out this caveat. We cannot possibly cover every single thing, (laughs) nor is that our mission statement. There are a lot of fine outlets who are covering every single thing, and our uh, brethren in the Xavier Protocols, Zach Rabaroff, actually is covering this on XavierFiles.com, and he wrote an amazing, amazing write-up of it, co-authored with um, Nola Fa, another fantastic writer. So if you really are looking for like deep, deep dives into symbolism, which you know Zach can provide if you watch this in Hickman Report, let me give my highest possible plug to uh, heading over to Xavier Files when you're done and reading that. And with that out of the way, I think we're we're going to do our part in, in taking this apart a little bit. So let's talk sword before we get into the personnel. 
Uh, Harry, you most recently read the Sword miniseries, the original Sword miniseries, and of yeah. course, which branches in its own way out of uh, Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, kind of, because that's where we got mm-hmm. Brand. No, so sure. if, if you had to summarize to us before reading this issue, what was Sword? What was Sword? Sword to me, and I, I've read Whedon's run, a bit of Ellis's and G- Gillen's uh, Sword mini. And, you know, it definitely is kind of like the uh, space equivalent of S.H.I.E.L.D. that's fighting right. against, you know, interplanetary, you know, space conflict and alien races and what have you. But, but what's interesting, kind of the through line through that character and that whole idea is that, you know, Sword has always kind of been... Um, not second rate, but always kind of looked down on by other mm-hmm. by other kind of characters in the world. And even Brand herself feels like a character who's always a little frustrated because she's never gotten her due. Uh, that, mm. That's a big part of the sword mini, mini where she's been kind of um, being jerked around by a higher up or an, uh, another uh, member of the bureaucracy in that book. So it, that was just an interesting thread that I was seeing when reading Gillen's stuff. But um, it, it, is a, it is a government force designed to fight off aliens and threats and all that kind of classic you know marvel government stuff and, and uh, that was yeah, yeah i mean and that was kind of like um um it, it was it was mentioned here i mean brand is basically did mention something of that nature here and that and her appearance at the end of empire um mm-hmm. also reflects that particular um um uh dissatisfaction yeah. you know with her supposedly being in charge of um of 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 sword and 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 basically is supposed to be the gateway you know between earth and the alien races and yet she is constantly being bypassed by you know the avengers by by governments of the world um doing their own thing so yeah, yeah I, th- I mean I always find it to be like a really charming modern take on what S.H.I.E.L.D. probably would be like, you know, the classic version of S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of like, they're just happy to be invited. They're always there doing something. They've always got an LMD. But this is, I really (laughs) like when um, fiction, comics, novels deal with the idea of bureaucracy and find like an entertaining thing in bureaucracy because as the modern world evolves, we're all stuck in some bureaucracy, whether that's the bureaucracy mm. of our job or of our you know, insurance or of the place you know that we're renting or buying to live in. And I really enjoy that the story of S.W.O.R.D. as, as Brand recounts it to us here, is this story of bureaucracy. There's always somebody in her way. There's always somebody making a deal with an alien race without her, her approval. And you know, this is her basically being like, well, you know what? Humanity won't give me enough of a carte blanche to do the things I need to do. So guess what? I'm a mutant, so I'm going to side with mutants this time, and we'll see how that goes. And I love that she's not like, I pledge allegiance to Xavier here. She's like, this is yet another means to trying to do the space stuff that I know needs to be done, which to (laughs) me, I love Brand. She is one of my favorite characters at Marvel for this reason, because she feels like she's always got the right idea and she's getting thwarted by some bureaucratic nonsense that's outside of her control. And even her whole data page about like, oh, Alpha Flight, well, that was a wreck. It's like, you were in charge of that. She's like, yeah, but it still was messed up. And of course they're going to go to Captain Marvel. Now I'm like, she was your managing director. Yeah, but that sucked. And it's just just like, there's something really charming to me about it because it represents the real world. Is she she feels like a character that's never fully gotten her due. And yeah. that kind of is obviously a reflection of the book also. We don't have a lot of sword books. And, you know, that Gillen book was great. And it, it's so it got good. Cut, it got cut yeah. after five issues. It's yeah. like it's never really had its shot. Stealth need. So, yeah. Well, one of those. I mean, that's that's true. I mean, but the data page is also playing the, the trope that has always been on science fiction show. 
like especially on Star Trek, you know, like they have the Captain's Lock thing that opens, you know, yeah. in most episode. And um, you know, my personal favorite like science fiction series uh, on TV is Babylon Five, <laughs> and they do quite a bit of that too. Um, so Babylon you know, Five is a good one, y'all. Don't sleep on oh it. This was God. before JMS was a terrible Spider-Man writer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, editorial, like editorial interference. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean that's the thing, right? It is a a way to for um for writers to sneak in exposition yeah. without it being expositiony on TV. And in this case, I think it works too. Um, you know, and it makes it makes Brand a little bit more sarcastic and funny, you know, because she's like she's writing, she's just talking about certain things that happened before yeah. the events of, of this book, of this <laughs> issue. And back to Peter's point about bureaucracy, in that data page she mentions that uh, because this is a something that's going on in the Immortal Hulk book right now. Like uh, Henry Geirich uh, is back <sighs> in charge of uh you know some some stuff and she's like he's back he's in charge again like we can't the, the weasel the, the, the... emerges from his yeah. bow yeah, once exactly. again. Like of course you're fed up with this whole situation. Like yeah leave like go to hang out with the mutants. They have a much better time right now and that's kind of yeah. like that's like you know a meta yeah. commentary almost. I that's feel that's true. Gyrus ruins Gyrus everything. Is... He's he's every that's <laughs> his sole purpose as a character is ruining. He, he has he's ruined the Avengers. The he's forever. ruined X Factor. He's ruined yeah. everything. He shows up in the sword mini and he's just like, all right, we need to get rid of all the aliens. It's yeah. just like, God, you're such a drag. Like, can you leave? Like, <laughs> all right. So yeah. now I think we're gonna try to do two things in one here, which is we're gonna tackle the immense cast but also tackle Magneto's interactions with some of them as he walks through. But let's tackle Magneto himself first. No stranger to living in Earth's orbit. Uh, he comes up to the to the station in his metallic ball and just docks like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it strikes me that Ewing has maybe been waiting to get his hands on Magneto to write him for a while. And he's yes. not going to let his he's not going to give up his shot here. He needs to be writing Magneto for a very long time. This has like been the most fun I've had reading this character in in years. It's just such like a mix of arrogance and weirdly like kind of vulnerability, but also down to earth. It's 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 a really, really good version of the character. Talk about you the have... vulnerable point for a second, because I think that's what's so interesting about the Magneto in this issue. Well, mm -hmm. he he comes off, you know, like Magneto, the master of magnetism, this this great figure, but also he's this person who clearly is representing Krakoa, but isn't really the person in charge in this in this environment, and it's not the usual thing you see from him. And then later in the issue, they're speaking about uh, his daughter uh, Wanda, kind of being the pretender and what have daughter. you. Daughter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's such like a moment of like weird, like quiet, like just emotion on his face. And it's like almost tender, but also kind of upset. And it's just there's shades to this that like I haven't seen in this character. And I really ever I can't think I don't know about y'all have read like eight times as much as I have. So I don't know if you have, but I mean, there are quite a few um, good Magneto scenes like throughout the years. Mm. Um, I mean, you can go all the way back to his anguish when he accidentally, when he thought he accidentally killed Kate or Kitty at a time. One of my mm -hmm. favorite one scene. of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, there is this issue where he was filming in Asteroid M because he just learned that Moira messed with his genetics when he was mm -hmm. a baby. So that is another good, like, Magneto scene for me i think and you know um and 
I don't know. I mean, I, I find that. Oh, there's another scene where he basically knelt and pledged allegiance to to Scott to to yeah. Cyclops. I thought Oof. that was another powerful scene as well. Then fractions run or mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. yeah right. And then um uh and then his own mini his own series you know which spun off um Burns Run is like choke full of like good Magneto um scenes you know throughout that that short run. And if that, if Tyler's list kind of tells us anything here, and and to Harry's point that he's such a powerful character that within when an author gives him a a true weakness, a weakness of emotion or in spirit, not a weakness to be exploited, but somewhere where he actually feels vulnerable, it just plays really well. Like every single thing on that list was one of those moments, and they yeah. are as well Tyler's my top Magneto moments of all time as well. And so it really, and Ewing does that without ever getting to one of it's never like he almost kills kitty pride or he yeah. almost or he bends the knee to cyclops like we don't ever get a moment that big except for the wanda moment which still is quick and yet yeah. you still that sense kind of pervades this issue i deliberately try to stay away from other people's commentary before we record it's part of why we record so quickly but i did happen to run into uh zach who runs xavier files different zach zach with a k mm-hmm. and he was saying that like part of what's so interesting about this zach i'm stealing your point for my show sorry is um is that Magneto recognizes that he does not have primacy here. Like, this is not... Brand is doing something that's the next step. Magneto's on Earth. He's, like, the mm-hmm. the step behind, and he's not in charge of this whole space thing. And this is almost kind of like a generational handoff to, you know, the next person who's going to push it forward. And he can't help but be a little bit reflective in that environment. And I, I don't know that I got that in my read, but I think it's a fascinating take on the mm-hmm. issue. Oh, for sure. I mean, I don't, you know, he's never like vocalizing it, but he definitely seems in like a smaller position. And I, I kind of found this issue to be an interesting kind of mirror of the first issue of House of X, where, yes. you know, he's now the ambassador being shown around the much yes. different, much no, developed. He's the god. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you're showing without actually saying it out loud that this is an evolution and almost a breakaway from this world we just established without actively saying it and that that's so well done oh so perfectly put harry you know i mean in idea. some way he he also keeps reminding brand that he is the person like he is the he mm-hmm. is magneto right i mean he yeah he suddenly moved the entire station Mm-hmm. Just because you know, cable call him and calls him an old man, and <laughs> so he did it. He did it like twice. He moved it once because cable call him an old man, and he's like, "Well, this old man can do something." And then the second time he did it, he he basically Joe stationary the 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 station above Krakoa, and I don't think that was what. Um, Brand really wanted him to do or, or ask him to do. He just did it. And yeah. the Almost other thing also, says like a you need us and we need you. It's kind yeah. of flex. He's yeah. flexing he's flexing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yes, in some ways he's like, you know, I I'm I'm leaving this part of of uh, of, of of the plan to you. But um but you know, don't forget, you know, I'm still Magneto, you know, <laughs> and I know everyone here. <laughs> that's true he knows people at this place He's he popular. calls them <laughs> by the name well, the first name that. right oh, yeah. magneto showing showing great management tactics calling everybody by their first name as well as their mutant names here <laughs> yeah except so, for that one well uh, we <laughs> get, yeah. delicious yeah, we get that. delicious 
So, um, so okay, let's go through a somewhat lightning rounding here. There's six okay. sections of S.W.O.R.D. The first oh section is Technology and Engineering. WizKid is the station technologist. WizKid, of course, famously introduced in Exterminators, number one, part of the lead-up to Inferno in 1988. You would be forgiven if you've forgotten that because he has not appeared uh, in too many other places mm. since then. Uh, mm. And this is like a, this is as deep as a deep cut gets. I mean, this is a character with a a handful of appearances no definitely and um i mean i spoke to i mean i spoke to peter uh offline before um b before we did this recording i was like is it me or is he supposed to be written as like gender fluid here yeah i wondered that also he's definitely got a, a certain appearance that made you kind of wonder and you know i mean he's kind of off topic but he has i think the best design of any character in this book oh Wizkid the design looks, is awesome he looks mm. incredible like i just yeah it's an interesting character it's an interesting appearance like it, it just it's just such like a strong like first showing and it's nice for me to talk with you guys when you have characters you don't know as well for once <laughs> but yeah yeah just i mean the combination of the chair which is kind of like a spin on xavier's classic gold chair which is on mm. display behind me for those of you watching on mm. video um <laughs> And but then the popped collar and the jacket giving him some coolness from one angle, but then it's kind of just like the bright red and nods back to what they always wore previously. And then the kind of like, is there a little bit of a gender bent aspect to their appearance? We don't know. Hopefully we'll get a chance to dig in. Uh, but also let's talk about WizKid is just taken aback that they get to talk directly to Magneto to himself. Magneto. Yeah. <laughs> which I think was like a great genuine moment here. I love that that that's been a running thing in this in the 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 Hawkspox era, which is that Magneto is kind of like a uh, almost like a folk hero to all of the mutants who are just like enamored with him. Right. And I think you see that play out later uh, with uh, two interactions. Well, but. also that we get his power, Ewing tweaking his power, being like. And he does it in a series of lines, like, you're a technopath. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, but any technology, plant-based, mutant-based, we're mutants, so we're technology. I'm like, all right, Ewing, just, yeah. just whip it out there. Just do it. Why yeah. not? It's like, you know, it's like Hickman making Sinister Mutant. Let's just get it done and just move on. Yeah, and it's not that. even, it's not even, I mean, it, it feels, because he's so obscure, it's not even as if this is a retcon. It's yeah, like, nobody's going to oh, get yeah, that. No. It's just a clarification, to... <laughs> you know, of, of his powers. <laughs> yeah. When I read that line, I was just like, oh, they're going to do some wild stuff with this character through this book. Like, I, I, he's, I think he's quietly the MVP for me. It's kind of, I'm not even sure why. I just think he looks incredible and he's got like a lot of potential. I just wanted to spend more time with Wizkit, like which I ascend in sentences that we never thought we would say before this program. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to logistics, which is led yes. kind of a misleading name because it's really the telepath yeah. or the teleport core. Teleporters. Uh, yeah. So logistics is led by Manifold the Quintitian. Manifold, of course, is a Jonathan Hickman creation because he is from Secret Warriors Secret as Wars, well Secret as then Warriors. used in his Avengers, Avengers run. Avengers, yeah. Um, and so, and he's got a whole team of wonderfully obscure pure teleporters. This is where I started to get really like fa fan crazy. Uh, Blink, of course, originally introduced in the Age of Apocalypse. Lila Shaney, of course, introduced early in the New Mutants run and, and was in a band yeah. with Dazzler. Dazzler is in her band. She can uh, teleport intergalactically. Gateway, of course, who we know from the Outback era. Vanisher, who's from the original Silver Age X-Men, but was famously more modernly brought back by Kyle and Yost in their mm -hmm. 2008 X-Force run. And Amelia Vogt, who um, has some wonderful ties to Xavier's history 
and uh, and famously during the I want to say Cesar or Lobdell with JRJR run in the early yep. 300s, we get a wonderful flashback to how she's actually known Xavier even before the X Men. So these this is six characters with an amazing amount of X Men history, literally crossing through like every decade of of X Men that you can cross and, through. And isn't she um, at one time part of? Uh, Magneto's acolytes as well. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So she there are was three acolytes supporter. So there are three acolytes on the space station right now. Right. Vote Frenzy I mean, how... and Fabian Cortez. Yeah. Yeah. Which how is you know it's a nod that? to the, these people are used to being on something orbiting the Earth. Yeah. Magneto, Asteroid M was Harry. Have you read like all that Asteroid M early nineties uh, stuff? The I was introduced to Asteroid M uh, in Marvel Zombies, and I just kind of went with it when it cuts because in that book, Mar- Magneto goes back to Asteroid, and I'm like, I guess he lives on an asteroid, and we're gonna keep it moving. And I was yeah. also, I think, 13 when I read that, so you just kind of take it more when you re- when you're at that age. But yeah, uh, it sounds like a great a great uh, uh, status quo where they're just all living up in space. We so might I, was, to, I was gonna say we might have to prescribe to a reading of um, X Men nineteen ninety one one through three just because yeah. just because it's like some of the <laughs> best X Men issues of yeah. all time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's go. And it has it has yeah. all of these characters. So yes, there's a about. lot of yeah. these characters there. So I, I mean, I was wondering what quintition means because I've never encountered that word before. Right, he's not a quantition. Which yeah, qu- quant quantity like Quantile. math. Right, yeah. like quintition. Do you remember in our X Factor issue where Peter, you mentioned sometimes the words capitalize and you just assume it's something and you go with it? <laughs> that was me. I was yeah. like, "All right, he's a science guy. We're in a. Q- I don't know. I guess that's probably something beyond my pay grade." But yeah. So I mean, I mean, I did a, <laughs> I did a Google about it, and it seems like it is related to the what the the word uh, quantile, which is mm-hmm. you know, I mean, a quantile in statistical um, uh, definition means that it is an equal part, equal fifth. Of, right. of 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 a distribution that has been divided into five parts. So that'll be one. I mean another another definition will be it is one fifth of a circle. Um so um I'm not sure why he's named that way here. Because I, I think he's I mean, as we see later, I think he's more of a lifeline here than 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 a than than a statistical kind of um he's, play given he's pretty- his role later on. Yeah. yeah, he's pretty integral to the entire mission. Um, I mean, I don't want to give. I mean, I, yeah. I do read the solicits, and it do, does seem like they'll be giving him a full issue, uh, either in one or two. So um, yeah. I'm sure we're going to see a big focus yeah. on him. I, I love uh, that character because I did really like Secret Warriors and Avengers. Mm-hmm. So that was my favorite teleporter of the group because uh, uh, that's the one I relate. Uh, that's when I, I know the most. It was fun. Yeah. Well, also, if, if you, you with me here, or you in the listening and viewing audience, haven't read Tani Hizu Coates' Black Panther, Manifold yeah. is a major character there, and he just did a huge space arc, which actually hasn't quite wrapped up, because Marvel's <laughs> holding on to the solicits, and Manifold plays a big, big role there. And so it's kind of interesting, because you, you get a sense that that clearly has wrapped up, if not only Storm, but also Manifold is active in the, in the Xbox. Mm. I'm looking forward to reading that book when it's finished, but every month's lists come out and I'm like, man, still going, still doing the space thing. All right. We're good. <laughs> yeah. So let's move on. By the way, some major teleporters, uh, not on the list as well, that we could still bring in as yeah. backup. Ar- Ariel is one the one that um, jumped to mind, but there's a couple well, of major teleporters. In the that data are not page, in, there. in the data page, two mutants are named as backups. Yeah. Um, Nightcrawler and Magic. Nightcrawler maybe a little small scale for this enterprise. But yeah, I guess I was we'll say. Yeah, <laughs> but so that's what it's... that's what they name here in, right. in 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 the backup. So I was like, mm, yeah, 
compared to Layla, Cheney, Nightcrawler is maybe he's just on hand. Very like restricted. Around, so, yeah, you know. you know he might just. But compared to any of them, Nightcrawler is pretty short term. Okay, yeah. so now let's go to the one that to me was the most delicious: the medical and energy resources person, which has <laughs> Fabian Cortez as the executive producer. Of course, he's got like the most douchebag name out yeah, of everybody. This guy's amazing. I have no idea who he is. I don't. I, but as soon as you see oh that guy on the gosh. page, you you know his whole deal like immediately. Like this guy sucks. Slime. He he's Slime ball. The, he sucks the most of almost any X Men character of all time. He he not like in a, like he's a bad character, but like mm-hmm. he every single thing he, he has done on the page has been terrible. My, yeah. my favorite, he has my favorite line of the issue where he calls Magneto a uh, dreadlord. <laughs> I'm just like, please go somewhere else. <laughs> like, can you just disappear for a bit, man? <laughs> well, again, I mean, your reading assignment is X Men 1991, 1 through 3. Then, one to then three. we'll talk yeah, about right. that when we come one, back for sword number two because you'll I mean, shop. <laughs> he, yeah. he, he's, he's being played off as a comedy character here, as a, as a, as a loser here, you know, in, the, in a way. Because, you know, he's like, oh, you know, Magneto is like, oh, I recognize the ponytail but i can't place the name when magneto could remember every single character's <laughs> name and even one character that seldom appears peeper yeah. he's like oh peter you know and <laughs> that place plays off so well well and also the connection to the whole mura root of house of x and 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 powers of x2 that cortez was the one who was manipulating magneto when magneto himself was feeling manipulated having realized all the stuff that mora did to him yeah. when he was a baby and cortez made that situation worse in every possible way you know causing the conflict in mutant genesis and eventually causing fatal attractions really because of his manipulation of magneto yeah. and if there's anything magneto doesn't like he does not like to be manipulated now manipulated. he's made his peace with mora because they're part of this engine that's secretly driving all of x-men but like does he really have to make his peace with cortez if anything it's like there are other mutants that we could have sent up there they could have sent there's probably other healers they could have sent up but you know but send Cortez and I also thought when we originally got the five I'm like oh Cortez would work well in the five because he's kind of like a combo elixir hope maybe he's one of the backups to the five but you almost get the sense that Magneto's like nope get him as far away from here as so he knows he knows exactly who it is and he's probably the one who assigned him to be here even though he would never say that that's my type I had no idea they had all this history. That's so much funnier that he gives oh, him yeah. such the cold shoulder. Oh, they know each other oh, intimately well. I know, exactly. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Let's jump to uh, Ambassador Extra... <laughs> Extraordinary. Oh, well, I love Frenzy. She debuted in the original run of X-Factor as one of their mm-hmm. early villains, but she was written incredibly well by Mike Carey in the back half of his run on X-Men Legacy. She's great because she's a strong character who's been on both sides of the fence. She doesn't have an ideology. She wants to be on the team that wins, but she's never quite sure of who she is because she doesn't have her mm-hmm. own ideology. So she's been an acolyte. She's been an X-Man. She's been every possible thing in between. And so now we see her in space as an ambassador, which is funny because she's usually known as the person who just hits stuff really hard yeah. uh, and so just the the comedy of her being an ambassador but also like yeah why wouldn't she be an ambassador she's been everything she's played every side of this mutant game why would you not choose her as an ambassador that that was the thing that sort of threw me off i was like wait why is she an ambassador i mean like she's a fighter right like um not really known for her way with words generally yeah. not that she's not so, intelligent just that she will punch you before she before she exactly. has her way with words yeah she's introduced punching someone yes appropriately yes. 
And I thought this kind of plays really well because, you know, um, Bran is sort of like her in the sense that she, she but she plays it, she plays a lot more politics than, than, than Frenzy. But, you know, she, she's also like quick to, to react to certain things, um, from the short amount of time that I know Bran. So, um, I could be totally off base here. No, thank you. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that like, you know, she would like, yeah. I'm going to choose someone who's going to like punch someone in the face first before they sit down and like go through, um, you know, all the terms and conditions and then negotiate, you know, over a glass of wine or dinner. And um, I mean, it is a perfect pick for Bran. I'm not sure if it's a perfect pick if this is going to be, you know, if, 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 if the sword station is going to be a diplo- diplomacy station. Well, well, I didn't. Oh, go ahead, Harry. You oh, I, just, I, didn't know the, I didn't know the character at all, but I just found her interesting on just like the broader level of being someone who used to be associated with Magneto and just being like, yeah, I've kind of moved on from this whole thing. Just kind of showing that sword in general is kind of just evolving past what these old conflicts and ideas uh, are. That was my read. Also, another great redesign here by uh, Shidi. Yeah. Her, oh, yeah. her, just like that. She's always had the kind of dreads or twists with like the high shaved sides, but I think it's even done better here than it has in the past with that terrific jacket. It's just, it's just great. Yeah. So um, and they have oh, their own like danger room here. The stranger, stranger room. room. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I want to see more of that. So we also we have an ambassador in training in armor, which to me actually made a lot of sense because she a it kind of gets her out of always leading the junior leagues and the X Men. Like mm. get her out of there, let them make use other characters and always going back to armor. Yeah. But armor, let's not forget, like her whole first sequence of Avengers was or adventures was in Whedon's X Men, which had mm-hmm. her and Bran together interacting with all the stuff. Um, on what is that world? That world that they went uh, to. Break, yeah, the, yeah, break, break world. Break, break world. Break, break world. world. That's uh, right, that's so right. that worked for me. But then, of course, we get the visiting galactic ambassador Paybach, which gets yeah. us the scene about the Scarlet Witch. So here come the Empire spoilers. So technically, in Young Avengers, there are these two kids that aren't related by blood but seem connected, and they eventually turn out via Children's Crusade to be the reincarnated spirits of the children that Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, may or may not have imagined, but definitely made real and so even though they are not genetically their children they are spiritually her children one of the two is billy kaplan billy kaplan is a young gay character he falls in love in that young avengers run with teddy hulkling who is part kree and part scrawl and uh they eventually fall in love they become marvel's one of marvel's marquee gay couples and in empire this year hulkling teddy takes over the combined rule of the kree scroll empire and they get married in the finale and so now uh billy is the first gentleman of the empire but he's also Scarlet Witch's son, and this is uh, Paybach is a representative of that empire, which gives Magneto, as you can imagine, a very and Billy sometimes is identified as a mutant, sometimes not, and so you can imagine that this creates an extremely complex situation for Magneto here, and that is all hinted at by Ewing in the span of like three word balloons and a few facial expressions. Yeah, she really and, gets and, it right. And it's one of those things they never really do is explore the weird dynamics between Magneto and his daughter and his fake, maybe fake, maybe real daughter and his fake, maybe real grandchildren. Yeah. And like, I, I just love the young Avengers in general. I love uh, Billy and, uh, and Teddy just because they're like some of the first comics I read. And just the fact that they're kind of bringing their significance into the X world. It's just an interesting kind of development. I, I really hope we see more of it. 
All right, I'm going to turn the next one over to Tyler. Uh, Cable, the security director. Yeah, and is and his other function is being blacked out. So I was thinking, what could that be? Like um, initially, I was like, oh, you know, he's the pilot um, because you know, in one of the terrorist cuts, he says that you know the holder of the sword is also the pirate of something mm. else. So, but then it is a pretty long word. So I ended up thinking that it's reconnaissance, which kind of makes sense if you see, you know, with him and with random involved. I don't really know risk that well, so I'm not sure if, you know, she'll be well suited to do recon work. But with random and his ability to adapt to different situations, you know, he can just change stuff randomly. <laughs> That's why he's random. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I thought that could be another uh, function of that team. Mm. And also, it's kind of like, part of me is like, Cable, like, why Cable? He's just this kid to be the security director. But on the other side, like, he kind of is responsible for clearing the station, which Brand acknowledges in her data page. So he was always going to get used. And it kind of comes down to what is after that slash that makes him... It's like, just like um, how Frenzy is diplomacy and negotiation. negotiation. We all know how Frenzy is going to negotiate. So Cable <laughs> is security and blank. And I think whatever blank is, is probably the reason he's security. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to come out swinging here, but if Ewing makes Cable interesting, that'll be his finest work yet. So um, <laughs> I hope it's something fun. Um, I don't know well, why he's in this book either. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> it, it, in his own book, he is given a really young um, yeah, he's kind of like teen personality. Cable. Yeah, yeah. So and I kind of Tiger enjoyed beat it. Cable. Yeah, Tiger Beat Cable. <laughs> Sorry. So I don't know. It's, it, I think it's fun, um, well, but it's, I'm I'm not sure how 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 major of a role he plays here. Um, it, it's you know. it's interesting, even from his own book that just came out. Like just being in this position, he does seem slightly older or more mature. It definitely seems like something of like a development for him. Um, yeah, I wonder how it plays out in the cable book. I say half-heartedly, but we'll see. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I see, I'm I not the only fine. one who doesn't like things. Uh, so I will say <laughs> that um, that risk here is the one that stumped me. I had to actually op- fire up Yield Internet and figure out where Risk was from. She debuted in X-Force number 51, so before the road trip era of X-Force. She's another character who's made a very small amount of prior appearances. Here she is in S.W.O.R.D. Uh, Tyler, why don't you wrap us up on this final one? We have the Observation and Analysis Group, and we don't get to learn who the main psychic analyst is, although we do know who their observer is. What do you have to say about that? Uh, the psionic an- an- uh, analyst really stumped me. And initially I was like, oh, who is a telepath and could be used here? Well, Jean basically just quit the council. So she, and she... Well, she's the first person who, 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 who is a phoenix. So you know she could she's be got some space really... cred. Yeah, so she could be a good fit here. But then there is this throwaway line later on that people basically says, um, you know, um, what did he say? He says something like, um, I'm working with Omav, um, in in the psionic team and analyst team, um, when I'm not doing this here, and then. I figure out um, that it could actually be Mantello because Mantello's real name is Marvin Flume. Wow, and that is a deep yeah. cut, Tyler. That That's was really a good. really deep cut. Yeah, man, that was yeah. 
and he's the low-level telepath. And you know, he he is also one of the villains that um appeared in House of X um five after Xavier's um call, you know, and and everyone, all the villains just basically stepped through the gate. So um yeah, I, I thought that would that that was. I mean, if if I'm right, that is a really really deep cut. Well, and both of them have a history with Magneto, and and it plays out hilariously on the page with Peepers. You know, in the middle of brushing off Fabian Cortez, Magneto seems to have a deep knowledge of Peepers' every Marvel comic appearance here. <laughs> He's like, you are my best friend. It's so yeah. good to see you, Peeper. <laughs> but I let's, like let's have a drink later. <laughs> I don't know if this was a, if this was me reading into it too much, but considering I didn't know these two characters' backgrounds of so Fabian Cortez and yeah. Peeper, I found it interesting that. Uh, you know, Magneto is just so much more relaxed with this down-to-earth character like like Peeper than this kind of very fancy, like, upper-crust thing that Fabian Cortez is doing. And it felt more of like, you know, Magneto being that kind of folk figure and more down-to-earth thing that we've been seeing of late. Uh, that's how it felt, uh, you know, on the surface. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, uh, I was just laughing it off because it was playing playing yeah. playing off Fabian, um, being ignored, and basically Fabian is saying, saying the same thing as 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 people but people actually got the attention of magneto because he's like oh i have some i have some suggestion for the council and it's like oh yeah sure i'll listen to it and then <laughs> when fabian said the same thing he's just got brushed aside get out of here <laughs> yeah <laughs> well we have made it through this massive arrangement of characters but the upshot yeah. is that the reason we're introduced to the six of them and some of them not necessarily the head of the, their departments which peepers is not but he is part of the yeah. six is because yeah. the six form this operational unit that by virtue of being anchored and also transported by the telepaths can or i'm I keep saying telepaths the teleporters um teleporters can, yeah. teleporters can retrieve things of interest and yeah. so we get this final sequence um which is a very different kind of comic yeah. sequence um because it feels very silver agey because it's just this huge psychedelic art with words like right over top of it and you don't know who's speaking them or yeah. who's captioning because we see the machine of the six get fired up to get something what do we think something. about this? Well, and just just in case you're wondering why there is this sword um symbol besides the characters, they are just the six. Basically, because right, some the of them are not their department the or head, but they yeah, are still yeah. the six. Right. Yeah. So that that felt the most to me like the most like familiar Al Ewing that we've had in the book, where like when that came, when that those big splash pages came, where they were just falling through the white space and all this metaphysical stuff. I was like, oh, there it is. There's the stuff I was expecting from this writer. Um, it's definitely a shift from the first two thirds of the issue, which is literally just a tour of a space station. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think I liked it more than I definitely think you did, Peter. But like, um, it definitely is less engaging for me than than the other stuff. But it, it looks pretty. It's it's well drawn. Well, I mean, before we talk even more about this, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the art here. Yeah. I mean, the redesign of the of, of the station, I thought it was like pretty amazing. It is it with all the flowers and greenery yeah. and the red and ever. I mean, it's stunning. That first page of the it station is. is is stunning. Yeah, and it reminds you of the old station, and yet it tells you that it's not no longer the same, exactly the same. It's it's different. It's a little bit different now. 
I think a lot of this book's success is because of Shady, because, you know, you have these humongous sci-fi things and so much cast, and it's really, the first two-thirds of the issue is literally just people talking, walking yeah. through a space well, it's station. Just a, it's just a Sorkin. It's just yeah. the walking yeah. talk. But, it is. But the level of expression and warmth and emotion on each face, which I think Shady does so well in every book he does, like, that is what makes it so, like, entertaining and fun, and you don't feel like, I mean, I didn't notice a lack of action or kind of bombast in the issue until we got to the huge fireworks later but like he he i think like he i really hope he stays on the book i think he's integral well and it's interesting because shitty i really liked him at the top of marvel now when he was uh mm-hmm. on journey into mystery with uh catherine yeah. Immonen doing the sif stuff and i liked him because his style was very kind of semiotic like people almost looked like the li- little like computer game like 8-bit icons of themselves it was very plain had a strong stroke around it and i feel like over the intervening eight years now um mm. he's he's fantastic but he's moved much more into marvel house style which tends to be very uh catherine's partner Stuart Immonen's derived it's very imminent derived characters are glossy they pop you know they and it feels like now we're getting a certain number of people who were in that house style who are starting to be allowed to grow out of it and I use Pepe Larraz always as my example yeah. because I think he was the imminent imitator number one until he was let off his chain and now he's like one of my favorite in comics and shitty i've had this frustration with because i feel like when is he gonna push out of this imminent marvel house style mold which is nothing against imminent or marvel house style but it didn't feel uniquely shitty and 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 this issue to me finally feels like especially looking at some of the faces especially looking at some of the design that he's kind of cracking through and moving into a style that feels a little bit more unique than the style we've seen from him the past couple years that's a that's a good observation i'm also very biased to him because like he's just like i think he's an artist that's kind of dragged some books with middling art into better quality like hickman's avengers i think he's like (laughs) yeah yeah i love i i love those books a lot but i think the stuff with shitty with the new avengers arc is like the best that book ever reaches and a lot of that falls on on him but you're right that he has been aping i'm not aping but definitely more no i don't want to say that it's it's just very it's very marvel house style it's just a book that looks like a marvel book dc does that too they have a certain number of artists that they can rotate through in the same series and you can't even tell which of them it is because they're just in dc house style and marvel's got like five or six of them and and he's just one of them and this feels to me like you could not rotate one of those other artists in the next issue and convince me it was the same artist. I would be like, where's my Valerio Shidi art? <laughs> what what he's also very good at is making characters look young and hot. And he's very good at that with Magneto because uh, other guest, uh, Fariha, who is in a month right now, actually says that she combusted and died at the sight of Magneto looking so sexy in this issue. So uh, <laughs> expect more on that later. I guess. That was a special <laughs> message she wanted to relay to the show. Which is funny because I think he makes Magneto look as old as I've ever seen Magneto yeah. look. Really? That's yes. interesting. He has huh. put so many more lines on his face than his most face. people do. Yeah. I think that makes him look more like I think he looked vaguely sinister in this book at times but I didn't think I didn't like uh, relate that to age I just thought that more is like uh, some kind of like moral ambiguity Mm. well that I mean it's interesting because it, it clearly does both there you go well we've come to the end of this issue what are our final remarks on sword number one clearly you two are looking forward to more a little bit more than me but is there anything you wanted to talk about that we have not covered yet well, I mean, yeah, I think um, um, Ewan just expanded on the concept of a of a mutant circuit, uh, or you know, 
or a machine, you know, and and that plays, um, I think it plays into um, Hickman's um, planetary uh, chart there, where you have like a single, and then you have like um, a hive, and then you know, and and it goes all the way up to dominions. So, I I feel like this is this is building on it, um, and and in some ways, you know the the whole uh, last one third of it is is even just playing around with stuff that he has created before, um, because you know he he did a lot of um, all these um, different space, um, you know the the um the 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 pyramid that they 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 well they they first make a pit stop at the far shore the far shore is an is a concept that was introduced by even in avengers um in no surrender where i think where mm. where he co-wrote with um with 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 Zub Zub. Wells. Yeah. and and no and, Zub. Um, Jim Zub, not Zub. Oh, Wells. Jim Zub, Jim Zub. Zub. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jim Zub, Zub Wells, <laughs> Jim, Jim 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 Zub, and mm. and and Mark Wade, um, and it is described as the furthest point of life and death, and beyond there's only mystery. So now the mutants machine has gone beyond, mm. and they retrieve this you know pyramid thing. Which was also introduced in Avengers: No Surrender, you know, like kind of a pimeroid or something that they call it. And at that time, it was more like elementals, but this one is just one with no symbols on it. And it could be, you know, a combination of all the elementals into one, or it could be something else. I don't know, but um, it is kind of interesting in that aspect. Well, Ewing does that with a few. Sorry about that, Harry. Um, no, go, go ahead. Yeah. Ewing does that with a few different concepts here. He mentions the Snark War, which he teased originally in his Inhumans run. You almost get the sense back in how like Peter Peter David did in back in the day in his Hulk run, where he was seeding things all the time. And he was like, look, either I get to pay him off now or I get to pay him off later, but they're concepts I want to do. They weren't mm-hmm. concepts he had to write as Hulk concepts. And one of them, the um, War in Hell, he wound up resolving in X-Factor, you know, years, almost yeah. two decades later. And so uh, you get the sense that Ewing is kind of that kind of writer. He's just constantly throwing out stuff, maybe Maybe Snark War is going to play a big role here. Maybe it's not. Maybe the pyramids are. Maybe they're not. But this is just part of this like huge fabric of viewing space stuff. And keep in mind, he's also writing Guardians of the Galaxy right now. Yeah. Um, that he is just weaving with, and he wrote Empire. That he is weaving with such confidence. That's my. That was my question coming out of this book. Is that you know, is this book now the flagship for his cosmic work? Because between Empire and Guardians, you know, he's been making big changes in that world and sword feels like another is this going to be more in the x line is this going to be kind of like the figurehead for more space stuff is it going to be both like that that i think is going to be the most interesting to watch as this unfolds um so yeah i'm looking forward to the king in black next issue i mean i think in in a lot of ways the um the x-men even when they are doing their space stuff is always um, well, not always. In recent years, it's not. But you know, for for a very long time, it's always it's, it's kind of like sequestered in their own corner of the space. Mm-hmm. It's always the Shi'ar. It is always the Broad, and you know, and they don't really do a lot with the Kree and the Screws, which are more the Avengers, um, aliens, so to speak. Um, so I mean, I feel like, given that this is under the umbrella of uh rocks and uh head of X. So I think that this is going to be more focused on the mutant side of things with 
threads that he brings in from his other work more than anything. I mean, maybe, but so much of this issue is about like moving beyond thinking in terms of nations like Krakoa. Yeah. Like, what's in the book is saying, you know, we want to focus on bigger threats. So it feels, and just the way the Magneto is like, I was wrong, you were right at the end of the issue, it feels like it's moving away from that to me. So it, it's just, it feels like a giant question mark. No, but this that, is, uh, this is exactly what is happening in Hospox, mm -hmm. right? In, 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 in Moira's life, um, life six she went beyond the mutants you know she 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 go all the way to the end the the, the blue um post-human people right and she learned of certain things there and how that affects her plan we do not know and mm -hmm. i feel like this is like um basically hickman is like okay i'm going to do something this is my end point how we get to that end point i leave it up to you you can get get us there or, or or push us in the direction so that when eventually when I come to my last act or you know the act that deals with this, I can use those stuff that you created. I, I feel like that that is what is happening here. So that is it. We managed to still have a supersized discussion, even when there are just two issues. But <laughs> oh my gosh, did Ewing give us a lot to dig into in this double-sized issue of Sword. So look, we're going to be back next week with more This Week in X, and we get two more books coming out of um, X of Swords next week that we haven't seen. So X-Force is going to be resuming something. I don't know, because I'm not a solicit reader. Maybe it's The Trial of Beast. Maybe it's something else. Uh, and then we mm. also have, uh, or is it The Trial of Colossus? I don't see. I don't even remember. Yeah. It was a long time ago. And, uh, and then and we also have Vita Ayla taking over on New Mutants, which to this point has been my favorite X-Book. I'm really excited to see how they do. So uh, on the behalf of Tyler and Harry and myself, we will be back next week with more This Week in X. So I hope that you join us and I hope that you subscribe so you can be reminded when it arrives because we really think that X-Men are better when they are read together. And with together. that, we say thanks so much for listening and be well. Yo, that's a Bendis arc, the trial of beast. <laughs> what? It's the. It's, I mean, it must be something to put him on trial again, right? Yeah, <laughs> we could just keep doing it. Just keep putting him on trial at the end of every X run. Just you still. He's got done okay, something cool. wrong. Okay, more shit that you've done wrong. Here we go.